We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm Laura Tremaine, and I have 10 things to tell you. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Hey there, welcome to this special episode of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. I am really happy to finally share this conversation with you with one of my very best friends on the planet, a soulmate, a keeper of my history. I am a keeper of hers. I'm talking today with my college roommate, my later Los Angeles roommate, my longtime dear friend, Lindsay Lawler. Now, if you are a regular listener, you know that Lindsay and I recorded this episode for the first time a few weeks ago, and then when I went in to edit, the file was corrupted. So something that has never happened to me in years of podcasting. That little snafu resulted in last week's Ask Me Anything episode, which actually turned out to be a listener favorite. Somehow we made lemonade out of that lemon. It also meant that Lindsay and I had to re-record this conversation, and you'll hear us talk about that a little bit at the beginning of our section together today. Now, like I said, Lindsay and I are BFF necklace besties. We are that annoying level of girlfriend where we practically have our own language, we laugh at literally nothing, we finish one another's sentences. So it's actually kind of funny to me to introduce you to Lindsay on a serious and sensitive topic like infertility and adoption because she is hands down one of the funniest people I have ever met. She has been making me pee my pants laugh since I was 18 years old. We were set up by mutual friends to be roommates freshman year in the dorms at the University of Oklahoma. We hit it off immediately. We ended up pledging the same sorority, and we just stayed extremely close all through college. And then after we graduated, we ultimately both ended up in L.A. So we ended up living together in L.A. for years. We got married the same year. We were in each other's weddings. We have stayed like sisters for almost 20 years. We knew each other as teenagers. We navigated L.A. together in our 20s. And our husbands often work together. So 
we share not only mutual friends because of that, but also the spouse duties that come with being married to people in TV and film production. All that to say, Lindsay and I have been very close for decades, and even still, when she was walking through this infertility and then adoption journey, we did not talk about it that much. We talked about it lightly. I wasn't sure how to ask. I don't know if she knew for sure how to share. It can be a sensitive topic, even between dear, dear friends. So I'm letting her tell her story in full today on this episode, just one friend listening to the other. We both want you to know that we are not experts at all in the medical side of this, which she talks about a little bit, nor are we experts in adoption and in the very many ways, because there are so many ways that can lead one to motherhood. But Lindsay has things that she wants to tell you on this topic, and I want to listen. My hope is that we'll all come away from this conversation with a better sense of how to ask and how to share with even our closest friends. Before we get to the episode, I do want to tell you a little bit more about Lindsay Lawler, besides being my friend. Lindsay Lawler is a Nashville-based singer and songwriter. She performs both locally. She performs all across the country. She was a featured performer for many years at the famous Tootsie's Orchid Lounge on Broadway in downtown Nashville. She currently performs at multiple clubs downtown. I just love Nashville so much. She fits there perfectly. Lindsay is the national spokesperson in the trucking industry for the Truckload Carriers Association's Highway Angel Program. It's something that recognizes truck drivers who are saving lives when they're out on the road. Through this program, she has spent several years on a truck stop tour across the country performing free concerts for drivers. She sung at the Capitol in D.C. multiple years when they're lighting the Christmas tree. She sings each year at the Arlington Cemetery for the laying of the wreaths. In addition, Lindsay runs the Nashville Music Loft, which is a private music venue in a vacation rental in the heart of downtown Nashville. Yes, you can rent it. At the Nashville Music Loft, she also houses her recently co-launched publishing company, and she helps to mentor many Nashville up-and-coming artists. She's also currently launching Nashville Bachelorettes, a Nashville party planning company for visitors to the booming Nashville area. She is married to Seamus Frawley. He works as a sound engineer in the TV and film business. Together, they recently adopted their beautiful daughter, Freya June, on Thanksgiving Day of 2018. I love these people so much. They are a big part of our lives. So I hope you take something from our conversation about Lindsay and Seamus's road through infertility and adoption. Take two on this very important conversation we're about to have. How are you feeling now that we're about to have a redo? A little nerve wracking. (laughs) No, but it's good. I mean, I, I sat with it that night after I found out we needed to redo it and, or we discussed it. And I, I feel much better because I think just from a personal or selfish standpoint, I apparently needed to have a conversation with a friend and get some stuff out that I didn't even know was going on inside my body, apparently, and some some trauma that was there. So I think that's really good. And it's given me time to really organize my thoughts a little better because um, 
I, I think that I needed to get a, a little better grasp on kind of what's happened as a whole, because that was my first time to really sit down and from beginning to end, tell the whole story. I know I'm sad that it's lost because it was a really meaningful conversation just between us, like in our friendship. And it would have been interesting probably for others to hear friends talk in this way. It was the first time we talked about some of those things and that would have had its own kind of value. But it was so tender in some ways. There was a section where you were talking about loss that was so sensitive and so tender that when I realized the file was corrupted, I thought, you know, as much as I like to model good conversations and as much as I like to have good conversations on this show, not everything is for public consumption. Mm -hmm. And while I'm sad that you and I will never get to sort of hear ourselves back in that way, it taught me a little bit of a lesson of where that line is possibly because I would have aired that, you know, and it and it was special and I wouldn't have regretted. I don't think you would have regretted if we'd aired you having an emotional moment, <laughs> but <laughs> let's call it a breakdown. Let's let's call it a breakdown. But but when the events came out the way they did, I thought, you know what, this is the universe saying like we're going to let that moment in my bedroom in the lake house stand in its own you know, private space. And we're going to do what we meant to do for the show, which is tell a story and inform uh, without our, you know, without some of the stuff that is going to remain between you and me, you know? And hopefully help a few other people that just need to, to feel like they're not alone in this, get some answers. And just, I mean, my main goal is to help people, if nothing else, know where to start. Know like, what is the even, what does the launching pad even look like? And, and know that every story is different and, and you're not alone in any of it. And I think the conversation you and I had, there was a lot of times where I forgot we were recording and I was just having a conversation with my best friend. And so there's definitely things that in that mentality, I probably wouldn't have said nothing bad or embarrassing, but just stuff on a personal level you want to keep to yourself. So I think this is a conclusion. <laughs> we're going to take it as a, a good sign from the universe that that was beneficial for us and for me and now. Hopefully we can redo this and and be beneficial to others. Totally. Okay, so let's start with your story. Tell us where you want to start sort of sharing about this motherhood aspect of your life. Yeah, so I got married a little later. My husband's older than I am. We both have busy jobs where we travel a lot. We're not always together all the time often. And as we all know, it gets harder and harder to conceive as you get older and the timing becomes way more specific. And we just weren't together a lot, especially at the quote unquote right time to get pregnant. So I hadn't been on birth control for years and I kind of just chalked it up to it just hasn't happened yet. It'll happen when it's supposed to. And, And while I do believe that is true, the same time you have to realize that not getting pregnant over and over is a sign. And I knew somewhere in the back of my head, I mean, you're, you, you know, your body more than you realize, I think, you know, and I I think that I knew there was going to be an issue there. And I think that's also why I've never looked into it because I didn't want to hear what the answer was. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people do that. It's easier not to know than, than to hear some potentially bad news. Did your intuition about, you know, possibly having some fertility issues, did that start, like when you were young, or did that start when you were mid-marriage with having never had a little whoopsie daisy? Like when when did you 
when do you feel like you maybe had a knowing about that? I think I knew for a long time and I can't even say why. I mean, there's no reason. I just, again, it's, it's hard to explain. So I think if you're hearing this and you're wondering why you haven't gotten pregnant, there's probably a reason. I mean, then you, you know, and it's frustrating because then you hear, I have one friend who calls her husband on the phone and she gets pregnant. So like, <laughs> so that was really frustrating. So I think I knew for a long time, I, I can't put my finger on why I think there's just something we know instinctively. And for me, I got take, I, you know, took this as a sign we had to change insurance, so I started going to a new gynecologist, and I loved my doctor for years and just liked her and assumed she was the best as we get comfortable and complacent with where we are. And so I took a recommendation and started with a new doctor, and she asked me how long I'd been off the pill. I said, at this point, I don't know, six years or something, which is a long time. And she asked, she was like, why did your past doctor never check your egg, test your egg count? And I was like, well, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. So there's a test you can do, and basically, when when we're every woman when they're born, they're born with one to two million eggs, and it will only decrease as you as you grow. So as I saw one website put it, think of it as a, a a bank that you can't deposit in. So as the years go on, you lose eggs, and um, I just apparently come to find out lost more rapidly. So there's tests they can do, and so she tested me that day. And the quite the other big bummer in that is why did my past doctor not tell me about that? Obviously, she knew that was a thing. This is a, it's something brand new. So I think this is important for people to know. So there's two different tests they can do. And so she did a test on me called AMH, which um, I'm not going to tell you how to pronounce that because I because I'm not sure. But it's the AMH test, and they can test your egg count. So I did that, and then about maybe two weeks later, I got a call. Um, I happened to be at the airport when the phone rang and I, I don't know why I answered it with an unavailable number. And the nurse told me that, and I quote, I basically had the account of a 50 year old, which she might need to look into a little bedside manner. But <laughs> luckily I was sitting with a group of guys in the airport. So I didn't, I could not process that because hearing that would be hard. I didn't process that until later. Luckily when I was with my husband so I want people to know that, A, that's a test you can take. This doesn't mean – I've told several friends about that, and they think that means freezing your eggs. That's not what that means. That just means arming yourself with some knowledge just to know what point you are at if you do have any desire or even think there's a desire to have children down the road. It's just good information to know. And then if you choose to freeze eggs, which I personally would recommend, but that's to each his own, if you choose to do that, then you're armed and you know when the doctor can walk you through the best time to do that, et cetera. But wait, when you changed doctors and she tested your egg count, mainly just because she thought it was unusual that you'd been off birth control for six years and nothing had happened. But were you and your husband actively at that point deciding to start a family or was this just a fluke of changing doctors? It was complete fluke of changing doctors. Complete fluke. I think we wouldn't have ever looked into it. We were in the phase of where I hear so often, I think a lot of people say, the not trying, or the trying but not trying phase. And I think a lot of people say that, which ultimately means you're trying. I mean, you know, if you get pregnant, great. And and I think that was the, the mindset too, where it, that was another way for me to keep it casual. Like, if it happens, great. But if not, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be so devastated where it's, you know, where we're trying to do everything by the book and timing and like, you know, running my life around it, which I never wanted to be. 
because I, I find that really stressful. But it's sometimes, you know, you have to be that way. So it was a fluke. And when we found out, I wasn't with my husband. But then, um, and I waited a little while to tell him because I didn't, honestly, I just didn't know. He was out of town, first of all. But second of all, I just didn't know how to tell him that was a conversation I didn't want to have on the phone, obviously, because you fail as a woman. I mean, I felt really defeated by that. To be told that something we're, quote unquote, put on this earth to do, and someone was telling me I couldn't do that, that was almost at that time more the sting than I was losing this chance to potentially conceive. It was, you tell me I can't do something that I should naturally be able to do. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that I wasn't going to be able to conceive. It was that if we were going to conceive, I would have to go through fertility. So that's another point that, that bothered me and still does that my first comment from the doctor was when I finally went back in to talk about these tests was that, well, you can start fertility. Here's a place you can call. Boom. No one even, I think she said in passing the conversation, I guess you could also adopt her, but you know, but it was so like, those are the last resort choices, but obviously your first resort is fertility. And I think that's a really big misconception and a problem for a lot of women because not everybody I mean, I'm a mom, you know, this, this story ends with a happy ending and I ended up adopting my little girl. And so I'm fine. Like, I don't feel like I'm less of a mother because I didn't carry. And I think some women think that there's, they have to try fertility in order to really be a mom. And you don't, if that's what you want to do, then absolutely. But I'm just here to really advocate for adoption, not being the last resort. So you wish that doctors didn't make the or society, it's not just doctors, that the the first assumption should be, oh, now obviously you're going to try fertility treatments when there's other ways that you can start a family and become a mother. And why is that not weighed as equally as addressing your body and spending a lot of money and like, do, you know, doing these other things? That's what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. Because, I mean... With fertility, you go. There's several different steps in it. It's very hard on your body. It's hard emotionally, physically. It's hard on your relationship. Um, it's hard on your pocketbook. It's not cheap, and chances are it won't work, and you'll have to either try again or then, then go to you know the next option. Whereas with adoption, I know there's some people that are waiting forever, but at least we knew adoption was more expensive. But I had a better concept of what the what the end result looked like as far as ending up with a child. <laughs> I had no idea what it looked like at this point, but what it really was gonna entail. But just for, ultimately for us, that that was fine. So when the doctor sent you to a fertility specialist, I guess that's what she was recommending to you after the egg count thing? Mm-hmm. And so you went, did you, you just went because that's what you were told to do. You weren't even like. Yes, we went to a fertility clinic where we're located. It's, it was the biggest one there. It was the one that she'd given me a pamphlet on. I thought, fine. I didn't I didn't know any better. Like, at the time, I wouldn't have thought, oh, you really want this to be – I just thought it was being recommended another doctor, really, you know. And so I went, and within this practice, there were, I think, eight or nine different doctors there. And I went to the one that had the availability the day that we were going, you know. Um, it was a male, which that's fine, neither here nor there. But I didn't like him. I, I didn't like anything. There was not, and that's fine. It doesn't mean he was a bad doctor, but he was not, I didn't have the connection with him. But again, I didn't know. I've never really chosen, I've never spent that much time choosing a doctor in general. 
it hasn't been something as important as this. So it didn't even cross my mind that I had the option to research and look around. And 100% you should. It's the same as choosing a therapist or somebody that you're going to be going through some very intimate details with. You need to make sure that that person is committed to you. And listen, I know that this is their job, these people's job, and they do it day in and day out. I understand that. But you still should have a connection there, and that's and that's totally your option. I didn't, so I went with this one guy who I think never really got me into it. Like never – I think from the beginning he was, he was pretty negative. And honestly, I think he pretty much set it up for me that it wasn't going to happen. But okay, we'll try it. That was kind of the vibe. So – and you have to go into this like with guns a-blazing with just – all positivity, you know, acupuncture, do everything, anything in your power if this is ultimately what you want. And I wasn't doing any of that either, which makes me think that was another, you know, I, I equate all this at the end of the day to I ended up exactly where I was supposed to with my daughter. But I can't encourage you enough that if fertility is your route or whatever your route is to, to research a lot, but to also, once you get that news, Explore all options and then just see what feels right. Don't assume that you have to carry a child to be more of a mother. I think I would have done exactly what you did. Like if you receive the news that it's going to be difficult for you to conceive, I can imagine that you had a million emotions, a million thoughts, and you're just going to like do what the person tells you to do. I also would have gone to the biggest fertility clinic, like you said, I would have just made an appointment with whoever was available. Like I can see me doing this exact same pathway because when you're sad or confused or overwhelmed, like you are just following what someone else lays out for you. You know, it's hard. It's hard to make. These are life decisions we're talking about. These are our bodies. These are our hearts. Like it's a, it's hard to think you know, to think clearly. And also this isn't something you prepare for. So it's not like you can in advance research fertility clinics. I mean, I don't, you know, you wouldn't do that. So anyway, it's interesting to hear that you just like did what you thought was like the next right thing. And it's sort of at every turn, it wasn't a fit for you or your path. Right. Right. And so he said we could do IUI, which is a step. I think people don't know that, too. There's a step before IVF. IVF is the, the massive transfer of eggs and, and the, the more expensive one. We did IUI first. And here's another thing. He said to me, I think he set me up for failure here, too. He said, well, I'll try IUI three times. That's how I do it. I guess different doctors will try it a certain amount. Some will let you go as much as you want. He said from the very beginning, I'll try it three times. So he put that in my head from the very beginning. I have three shots at this. Mm-hmm. And I think that ultimately did something to my psyche as well. Not that he shouldn't have told me that, but I just, I think that was a factor. So IUI is, like I said, the first step, it's about $3,000 each time. We did it three times. What is it? Is it like shots? What is so it? You get a shot. Um, it's very specific on timing. Like my husband would give me a shot at night on a specific day, certain days, like between after ovulation. And then you go into the doctor the very next morning. They take a sample from him. They insert it, that, for lack of a better term, the turkey baster, um, and, and insert up into you. And it goes through, like, they, they clean the sperm, and it goes through directly, like, as opposed to sex, where it just, it's kind of a, a crapshoot where it goes. <laughs> they insert it up, like, directly up, up into you. There's a lot of information. Sorry, Mom and Dad. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
And so it's got, you know, a better shot. So the first time we did that, and then, and then you sit around and, and wait for a couple weeks and see if you're pregnant or not. So that's brutal. Um, I mean, that would be with anybody trying to get pregnant. You sit around and, and hope that you don't get your period. Well, I did. So the first time, first time I was bummed out, but I thought, well, I've got two more shots. So I, I was, I was certainly bummed. We tried again. The second time, honestly, I was not, I was still, I was running around. I was busy, still drank during it. I, I mean, I should have been, wasn't really working. Like I should have been doing everything. So by the book. And the second time I was kind of ho-hum about it because in my head, I'm like, well, if it doesn't work this time, I still got the next one and then I'll really get it together, which is also weird. I mean, it was my time and money. And then the third time we tried it when it didn't work, I was doubled over on the bathroom floor and completely devastated for obvious reasons. I had to call my husband and tell him, and that was a, such a hard phone call because the thing about it too, that women need to understand and also feel okay with, they hadn't found any issues with, with Seamus. Doesn't mean there ultimately wasn't something additionally there on his end, but we did have, you know, find an issue on my end. And so that is really hard to tell your spouse. And I mean, hopefully I know a lot of people would go through this as a single person too. Um, so I encourage you to find somebody to talk to or a good friend or somebody to at least help you go through it if you have access to that. But it was so hard to tell him that, that now this didn't work again. And in the beginning to tell him too, that I even found out about the egg count. Luckily I have a partner who was so supportive and didn't think less of me of a woman. You have those thoughts. I'm going to, they're going to think I'm less of a woman. They're going to not want to be with me because they want to be able to have kids of their own. Like all these thoughts go through your head and they're total, totally normal thoughts. Seamus was so supportive and said, you know, however we're doing this, we're doing it together. And that, that's it. So I'm very lucky about that. But that was a hard conversation. So IUI is hard. Every, every single step is hard. And just know that and know, know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, the tunnel. But with every step, it's a lot. And then we came to, after that, to me, the hardest point in my whole life. And it was the, well, to, at least up to that moment. And it, it was the, the gray period where... Then we were like, are we going to do IVF? Are we going to look into adoption? Or are we not going to have kids? And that's a really hard, that's hard, obviously. Like, because it was going to be a financial commitment to move forward with whether adoption or IVF. And it's an emotional and life commitment for any of them, including not having, including the idea to not have kids. And we toyed with that. We toyed with that and with, you know, just watching people that we knew that didn't have kids and, really focusing on their life and seeing if that's a lifestyle that we were also interested in. And, and it was such a great period and such a hard decision to make that we didn't make it. And I think we didn't, we didn't say we're not going to talk about this. We just didn't talk about it and like went about our lives for a little longer. And we went through a lot during that time. We struggled just as a couple. I think it, it drew, drove a wedge between us a bit. I don't know if my husband would agree with that, but I think it did just because it was emotional even to see him or talk to him, I feel like, in hindsight, because I didn't know what to say. It was it was just such a confusing time. So we didn't. We got further and further apart, further and further down the line, not getting any younger, and, every, and life went about, and it was just too hard to make the decision. This part's hard for me to hear because I know you both pretty well. Well, I know you very well, and I feel like I know Seamus pretty well, and I can see that each month not making a decision 
I can see that you would grow apart. Like, I can see that you would have all the emotions. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I feel emotional about this particular part <laughs> about your marriage, because obviously there's a lot of points on this story that are uh, emotional. But in some ways, when I hear other women talk about different matters like this, they can talk easily about their body. And it's harder to talk frankly, about their relationships. It is, because I think everybody wants to, I know I have a lot of friends, and everyone wants to pretend that everything's fine. And you never want to say that there's bumps in the road, and which is ridiculous, because, you know, there's bumps in the road. So it, it is hard to say that and admit it. Um, but it's inevitable, and it's, I don't think this now, at the time it felt unfair, because I was like, I feel like we're two really good people, and all we've talked about is how funny it would be to see what we could create together because I picked this person that I love so much and he the same and that's such a such a fun daydream as a couple before you have kids to think about what you're going to create together I mean that's a huge deal mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a bummer it's unfair to think we didn't get to do that I'm fine now but that's definitely I mean I'm just realizing that as I say that out loud right now to be honest but but so to not to not get to see that, and he has your eyes, she has your nose. You know, we won't we won't get that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that sucks. How long was this gray period of indecision? Probably about a year and a half. Oh wow, it was a long time, kind of. Yeah, and you truly never talked about it. Like nobody ever said like. Hey, we have to. I said it here and there, but Seamus is the type that, and this isn't a negative to him, but he's, he's the type that he doesn't believe anything. I think this comes from working in production all his life. Like you're, you're not on a, on a job until you're there on the job. He treats a lot of his life that same way that nothing's happening until he's like in it in that moment. So I think if something doesn't just show up or pop up or happen naturally, he doesn't, he's almost been like trained to not expect it. If that makes sense at all. And I mean, this is obviously very, a very different situation, one that you have to, but I've also always been the one that makes the plans, handles like logistics in our family. So I knew that whatever route we decided together to go after, I was going to be the one logistically looking into it. I mean, he's hands on when we're in the moment of something, but as far as like doing the research and the due diligence, I knew that was going to be on me and I was fine with that. I think that's a lot, a lot of relationships. One person, you know, everyone has their different streams. Mm -hmm. So I knew that was going to be me and I was fine with that. I mean, he will tell you to this day, every, as far as a lot of the research and the things we got done was on me. So, but it was a long time of the gray. And we went through some stuff with family during that time and had, had some pretty big hardships during that time too. It was very circle of life when we actually did make the decision. So let's, I want to fast forward to that so we can move forward. But we, after a few kind of traumatic things, we made the decision that we were going to look into adoption because, sorry, back up. We, after the IUI had failed, we did this one test where they go in and they flush this blue dye up into your fallopian tubes to see if your tubes are open. I had no idea what that looked like going into it. I did it. It was, I'm pretty good with pain. It was the most painful thing I'd ever been through to point where I, I passed out and fainted and fell off the table. And I told my sister later about it and she said she was asleep 
they, she was put to sleep when they did that on her. So I, why they didn't put me to sleep, I don't know. But I, I take it also as a sign. It was just so painful. And I was just like, no, this, that was, that was when I was like, no, I'm not, that's too much. And it's not worth it. And, you know, we've always, I, we've adopted dogs. We have people that, uh, kids and friends and family, everyone in our house that we, I like taking in people. And Seamus's family has grown up that way too. And so it was like, there was this just like ping moment where I was like, no, I, I just want to be a mom. I don't really care how that even happens. And my one thought too, I was like, you know, quite frankly, our life's a little, always been a little different anyway. I've always been a little different. I don't want to do it the normal way. And then I just started like convincing myself all the good things. I don't want to do it the quote unquote normal way. I'm supposed to adopt. I got really right with it. We both did. And then I started thinking of all the positive things, the things I don't have to do if I'm not caring. You know, there was a part of me that was always really, really stressed out and had anxiety about being pregnant and not being able to breathe, like, because I get so big or not, you know, the weight and all kinds of things that I had anxiety about. I'm like, I won't have those. I won't have to breastfeed and pump and be on a schedule. I just started like listing out the positives and it just outweighed the negatives because we were going to do it together. And it, it was what it was at that point. And then it got it. Then that was like, you know, the skies parted and everything was awesome. And we got to go on this journey now together, finding out who was going to end up and be our kid, which was, you know, same thing when you're pregnant and you wonder, what are they going to come out and look like? That was my time then to be pregnant was going through the adoption process. So when you guys decided you came to a decision to adopt you and you got your mind right about that and, you know, you said the skies parted. So like you felt an immediate alignment of this is what you're supposed to be doing. I did. You hadn't felt that before. No. It was honestly like the biggest weight had been lifted off my shoulders when it was like, oh, okay, this is our path. Cool. Let's go now. And there might have been a part of me that was, again, just trying to block out the negative and be able to focus on now the positive. I think that, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you, you know, come to terms with those emotions that are there, which I'm probably still doing. But yeah, it just, it was really freeing. And then it got, it then became exciting to be like, you know, now who are we going to use? Who are we going to meet? Every time the adoption counselor called, there was an excitement. So there were other things that, and I think that's important to note for women, to use that time when you're going through the adoption process, whether it's six months or five years, to look at it as your pregnant time where you, as your time without children for you and your partner to still really, or if you're single, to live it up, do whatever you need to do before you have kids, but look at it as your time to, bond with yourself and your partner and, and, you know, experience all the emotions of that time before you were three. And then there were three. So then you, how do you even, I don't, there's so many ways to adopt. I have actually a surprising number of friends who have adopted. They've every single one of them done it a different way. I would have no idea where to start. Where did you start? And that's what's really hard. I am a, hard for a lot of people, and it's hard to hear when I talk to more people. I'm a very proactive, like, like to get stuff done. And so, I mean, we made that decision. Next day, I'm, like, making appointments. I'm on it. I'm doing all the research. But not everyone's like that. And so I just I asked all the questions. I talked to friends who have been adopted, people who 
had adopted, old, young, I happened to just start looking around and just finding more and more stories. And I think it's kind of like the thing we, you know, when you decide to buy a certain kind of car and then that's all you see on the road. It was kind of like that. Like I kept having all these random just occurrences and it wasn't random. It was, I was being told, listen to this, you're doing the right thing. You're on the right path. So like, it was definitely the encouragement to pat me on the back to keep moving this way. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to like pay attention to those cues when you're going through it, whether you're a religious person or a spiritual person or whatever, just know that, you know, find your way because you're going to want encouragement through it. So any little, any little sprinkle of that is always nice. And, um, I went to, here's another thing back, just like the fertility doctor, adoption counselor. This is a big deal. Whether you're going through an attorney, a private adoption, a international domestic, whatever you're doing, like do the research and meet with several people. I felt bad, like say no to certain agencies because I didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but that's ridiculous. You have to find the person or agency that's correct for you because this is a big deal. So do you like interview agencies almost? You go to meetings and like meet people and then you have to go to informational meetings usually. So they'll have, um, every most state, I mean, a lot of agencies, if you're ones that you're going to probably find on the internet or such or bigger agencies, they'll have informative meetings where you can go and they come in and answer a bunch of questions. We went to one that I had several different recommendations. We went to the first one and they happened to be very religious, which was fine. I, I am a religious person, but it was, it was really over the top and just uncomfortable. It wasn't a right fit for us. Just fine. So we went to two or three different ones and just were kind of trying to find the right fit, looking around, seeing the other people in the room, these, you know, just everything that you would look for. Um, and then we got went to another one on recommendation that at the time I thought would be perfect for us because they were out, just outside of where we live in Nashville. They were independent. They were small, kind of like a boutique agency. I thought that time I thought, oh, that's that makes perfect sense. And we loved our counselor. Um, she came over and, and um, started our home study. So that's the first thing that happens in the adoption process is before you do anything or told any specific cases, you have to do a home study, which is very invasive. I am sure that you can agree that literally no one wants to smell bad. But sometimes regular underarm deodorant just isn't cutting it. Or maybe it's not your underarms that need help. With Lumi, you don't have to worry. Lumi is the first of its kind in total body deodorant and is fully safe to use anywhere on your body. It is clinically proven to block odor all day and control it for up to 72 hours. The secret is mandelic acid, where instead of masking odor with a fragrance, it stops the odor before it even starts. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free, as well as pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of bright scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that equals over 40% off the starter pack. Use code U for 15% off your first purchase at lumideodorant.com. That's code U, Y-O-U, at lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. We took it all. 
brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What are they asking? What are they studying? What are they looking for? (laughs) They're looking for everything. So our our first step, and the home study is, I believe it was about $2,500. Oh, you you pay for the home study? Pay for the home study. Okay. It lasts, every state's a little different, but yes, you have to pay for the home study. It lasts for, once it's finalized, it's good for a year. So if you don't end up with a child during that year, you have to do it again. Wow. I know, it's crazy. And it's a lot. And listen, I, I agree with it that everybody should have to go through these hoops. But at the same time, I got really defensive during it, going through it, because it was so frustrating. I'm like, we are really good people <laughs> for the most part. And we're just trying to add to our family and, you know, in addition, take a child in. There's so many children out there that need homes. So it, it is frustrating that you have to go through it. Um, I think everybody that gets pregnant should have to have, be asked all the questions as well. Um, they look into your bank accounts, tax records. We had to give every address we've ever lived at, which was a lot, especially for Seamus. You get references from family, friends. You, I think you wrote us a reference, right? I did, yeah. Yeah. What did you say? <laughs> well, I, I just think- talked about how funny you were because that's the most important thing in motherhood, being funny. <laughs> she is funny. Love, Laura. <laughs> Well, it works because we, we got a kid. And then you, you do some, like, counseling with your adoption counselor, which that part I actually really enjoyed because I think I learned a lot about Seamus. He learned a lot about me. It was it was good. It's all positive. Like, nothing is negative throughout that. It's just a lot of hoops, a lot of digging through your past. And if you have to go through uh, background checks, obviously. You have to do, like, the FBI fingerprinting checks and um, anything, guys, anything that's that's happened in your past. Anything comes up. So, but it's also fine. I think I've had a lot of people freak out about that and say, well, they're going to find my, I was in college and I got a this or that and it comes up, but it's not a big deal. So don't stress out about them. As long as you haven't done something terrible, you're fine. And then you have to do a bunch of education. So this, that's going to courses, it's reading books. It's, you have to do like um, a certain amount of hours. Each agency is probably a little bit different. I would advise, I really, those, that can include going to these panels, which I actually found really interesting. It was like, you know, going to hear a speaker. Our agency that we were using at the time hosted a bunch of panels. We can go and you hear like birth mother panels or adoptive parent panels. I went to one, which really stands out because it, it kind of drove a point home to me. It was adoptive family with the birth family with the child or birth mom and the, and the child. And so seeing that that relationship between all three and every story on that panel was so different or each relationship was so different or how it came about. They had all gone through this agency, but it was so different that it really like that moment I really realized, which is another big point I want to make that like, you can't plan for anything. You can do the best you can, but you can't like, you just have to know that every day is going to be different. Your story is not going to be the same as anybody else's. And, and that's okay. That's fine. And whatever, whatever ends up being is supposed to be your story, but you've really got to let go 
what the internet says adoption is or what happened to the ABC family, you know, nothing is, nothing is the same. So don't think because one person had a certain experience and yours is going a different way that something's wrong or right. Yeah, that's interesting. So after the home study and educational pieces, are they like ready for you then to bring home a baby or? So, yeah. So then once we passed, <laughs> thankfully, there's way more in that. But what, once we passed and that was all done, then it um, you make a, well, at least with this agency, a lot of them do this, either like an online profile or you make a book and this is of you and your family, your partner, whoever. And I just want to hit on this quickly, but I think it's interesting to note. We made this book and this will be the book that now birth moms are going to look at you and choose from. And I have some friends going through adoption now that are so against the husband is so against making the book. Cause he's like, well, I feel like I'm selling myself. And I'm like, well, I mean you are. And that's kind of the bummer that like you said, what if someone's really good at Photoshop and someone isn't. And the mom's like the birth mom thinks, well, this book is really cool. So I, I just encourage when you do that, it was a neat process. I really thought for me, I made our book. James and I chose pictures together, but I made the book and it was just fun for me because it was like looking back at our life and that was exciting for me to think this child is coming in to this life. So I was excited to show that to the birth mom. That being said, I get why some people would feel like they were being judged on that and, and all I can say is that to make sure you are very honest with yourself and who you are and it doesn't all have to be glossy. Like these birth mothers deserve to see the the truth and the reality in the whole story because they're picking somewhere for their child to go for their life. So just be really honest and and know that some people would have looked at our book and thought, wow, these people have a super fun, interesting life. Some people would have been like, heck no, that is weird. <laughs> you know, so, but I just tried to keep it as much to, I'm like, this is us, good, bad, or indifferent. This is who we are. So, um, and some people do that with online profiles. So sometimes you don't even make one at all. It's every, again, every agency is different, but if you are making a book, I would just say, have fun, do it with your partner, like get excited about looking back on your memories. Use that as another good bonding experience, but be true about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. So you made your book. So we made our book and, um, and then she started, you know, we would get calls here and there. There were two potentials that came up where, you know, this is actually as we were finishing our home study where my counselor just called and said, I've got some potential birth moms. Like I'd like to show your book to them, get it done, speed it up. <laughs> so we did, but nothing, those two potential, those actual moms ended up deciding to parent and, and not going through the adoption process. So, but th this was early on. And so a couple months later, which is not long, but a couple months later, our adoption counselor said to us, just encourage us to maybe look to some other, look outside to either do somewhere else domestically in the States or international. She's like, it's just bizarre, but in six months, we really just haven't had any adopt, you know, any pregnant mothers coming through. So that's back to where, you know, when I said I thought this agency would be good, but if you think about it, it's supply and demand. Um, again, for lack of a better term, but we were, by choosing an agency specifically outside of that, just in Nashville, keeping it local, we were limiting our pool of, of pregnant moms. It is kind of what it is. So she encouraged us to reach out. Not that we didn't have to stay with them and stay on their waiting list as well, but just to feel out some other options, which I appreciate. So then it became, all right, now we're going to look interstate or international. And we decided that we would check into some agencies, both either in Dallas or Massachusetts, where our families were, so that if we did have to go, you know, relocate or be anywhere for 
a matter of time, we'd have family there. Um, and my mom actually also a proactive person with a little bit of time on her hands. <laughs> she, um, went to her Zumba class and then came home and did some research. Hi mom. She found a couple options for us in the, in her area in, in Dallas. And for some reason, one really stood out to me for several reasons, which I don't need to go into, but just spoke to me again, just, you know, I think lean into what speaks to you. It spoke to me and, and I, my mom called and talked to her. I, I gave my mom the green light to kind of suss a few out for me and help me out and kind of give them an overview. And so I emailed this woman and um, she was an adoption attorney that had her own adoption agency. She wasn't private though. There's a difference between all the different adoptions. Oh yes. Um, I, I think I used that phrase incorrectly. So what you were doing going through an agency, and this is for those of us who, who know nothing about this process this is not private adoption. Private adoption is what? Private adoption is more when the birth parent or parents, they choose to place their child. And it's often with a family that they're choosing. Like, for example, say a girl at your church gets pregnant. She knows there's a family within the church. This I've just seen this happen a couple of times. Which is why I'm using that example. She chooses them. So then they find a, an attorney to facilitate it for them and do it privately. It's not always the case, but it's usually when the birth parents and adoptive parents are kind of choosing each other and, and come together and then need help with the legal side of things. Okay. So you were still doing agency adoption. You just moved to this or not moved, but you just expanded to this one in Dallas. Correct. We started, we decided to start talking with this agency and she was an attorney, which was, which is good too. Cause sometimes just a normal agency, they don't have an attorney quote unquote on staff. Then it's just another piece of the puzzle that they have to bring in, you know, another, another middleman. Mm-hmm. So we ended up working with the woman who was an, an adoption attorney. So she was the only person we ever dealt with, which was, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Again, may not be for everybody, but for us, it was nice. And it happened really for us then, once once we got with the agency we're supposed to work with, and after all the the years of the pain, then our adoption happened pretty quick. But that's not to say there wasn't some heartbreak during that time. I want to hear about the heartbreak. And I, I understand from living through this with you as a friend, I remember when these things happened, but also when we revisited it as a conversation the other day, our original recording, I want to say here... Because it touches on something that I've talked about on this show in all kinds of other topics. I hope you don't mind me saying this, but as you started talking about a few of the hard things that happened at this time, when you were talking about it with me, you started coughing, you started itching, we had to take a break so you could take some water, and it wasn't, neither one of us clued in immediately that you were having a reaction, we thought, like, you know, whatever, people get a tickle in their throat, As this sort of went on, I was like, Lindsay, your body is reacting to this heartbreak that you've never fully processed because, do you mind me sharing this, by the way? No, it's okay. Because I think knowing your personality and the kind of positive mentality you have to have in the situation where you're just like, what's meant to be will be. And you're just like marching forward and you're like, this, you know, you just have to have a positive mentality and you're really clenching tight to hope and the universe and all of these things that because your story ultimately ended up with a beautiful, happy ending, 
when we were talking about it the other day, it was clear as day to me that you actually had not let yourself feel some of the hard things that happened beforehand because you were just intent on having a positive spin on it. Very much. And your body knows. Your body just knows. You cannot hold tight to heartbreak. You cannot put it in a little corner and be like, I'm never going to think about that again because the outcome turned out to be positive. So I am i don't get to think about these other things. And I feel like that's what was what happened in our in our conversation when you like really you got like hives and you were coughing. Not like hives. I don't know what happened to your body, but like you really had a reaction. I did. I was sweating and I did not know where any of that came from. I said, oh, it's hot this summer. That's <laughs> what it was. Yeah, I've never had anything like that happen before. So to be so. clear, tell us what tell us what happened when when you first got with the agency in Dallas. So we, my mom had a conversation with her and kind of thought it'd be a good fit. So I emailed her and we'd kind of been back and forth and never really connected just right away. It took about two months for she and I to actually connect. I don't know why. And then, but my mom had told her about us. And then one day I got an email from her and it said, do you have any time to talk today? And it was like as quick as that. And I thought, well, so I, I quickly got on with her that afternoon and we hit it off right away. She made a joke. She had seen something in my background that I had gone to the University of Oklahoma. She made a joke about OU Texas. And right away, I'm like, well, this is a great fit. Um, talk to me about OU football and, and you're in, which was, that was fun. That was another little sign to make it feel comfortable for me, you know. And she started talking about this birth mother that she had that was due 10 days from this conversation. And as we're talking, I just thought she was giving me an example of something going on. And then as we talked a little longer, she said, okay, well, get me the home study. I'm going to go ahead and send you the file on this birth mom. And I was like, wait, are you saying this is my kid? Like, is this, is this happening? She's like, oh yeah, this is happening. And I was, so, I was like, why? You don't, you don't know me. And I have no, I can't explain why that happened or why. And I just, I said to her, listen, I'm going to have to call you back because I, I need to process for a second. And I fell to the floor and, and just had the first realization that like, wow, this this actually could happen. Because I think up until then, we were kind of playing house a little bit, you know, like going mm-hmm. through the motion of the fun fantasy of it. And, and I was all set on at that point. Oh, this is my kid. I called my husband who was in like Japan. And I said, we're getting a kid. And just, you know, went through all the exciting emotions. I called family, I think a friend said, it's happening, it's happening. And like, just was all about this. It was happening. And um, on the day I was supposed to, she was going to, I was, going to go back to Texas for this, which was also great because I was going to be there with my family. And on the morning that I was going to pack up and, or I was already packed up, we'd we'd gotten, it was going to be a girl. We'd done the nursery in pink. And luckily I have nieces that are girls. So we'd gotten a bunch of their stuff quickly, like within a week and, you know, got going. And the day I was going to drive back to Dallas, Seamus wouldn't have been able to come with me. He was going to be out of the country for this. So the morning I was about to leave for Dallas, we, I got a call from the attorney that the baby had been born, that child, little girl had been born, and the birth grandmother decided that she wanted to raise her and parent, which was heartbreaking. And my first immediate thought was that woman just made a choice, good, better, and different. I'm not saying one life is better than another, than another at all, but it was just so interesting to think that child's path just changed so drastically from 
from her decision. And so I think about that little girl all the time. I have no idea anything about her. I didn't have a, a picture or a whole lot of information on this family, but I had some. And so I think about her a lot. And I didn't know what to do. I was alone. Seamus wasn't there. And I felt like I had just lost. I mean, as we kind of realized with the last conversation you and I had, in hindsight, it was sort of like a miscarriage. Completely different. I know I don't know what that feels like. And it's it is it's different. But that was the only thing I can sort of equate it to if I'm looking at this as my, you know, pregnancy phase. And so, but the attorney encouraged me. She said, but I... I I do have another birth mother who has just joined me kind of late in the game and she's actually due in like 10 more days from then. And I was like, well, so like I immediately shifted focus. I'm like, okay, well that's my kid. Like it was, and that's to your point, I turned that off really quickly. It's like, well, don't be sad about that. Cause there's another option. You don't be sad. Don't be sad. And, um, you're right. So I never like properly got to think about, I had, I had prepped a nursery for this, unknown child. And, um, I went ahead and decided to go back to Dallas just cause I wanted to be with family. So I went ahead and drove and sat and waited for this other child to be born and waited and waited and waited and was talking to the attorney as she was getting, I, I got an ultrasound on the second child. I had picture of the mom, birth mom, I had a bunch of information. I had her name and everything. And, and then we got a call that on her due date, she hadn't, hadn't been born yet. So they were scheduling a, a C-section then she was born and they had said we could come to the hospital or we, me, it was going to be me and my parents because Seamus wasn't going to be around for this one either, which would have been really hard. And, um, so I'm like prepping to go to the hospital later that afternoon. And we got a call that that baby had developed some, they found some issues with her lungs and had developed some breathing problems. And so birth mother wasn't, wasn't ready to, to back off yet. And she was hovering totally understandably and her, her family showed up and, and as the hours progressed, she decided that she, she, you know, grew closer to that baby and a day or two went by. And, um, so I'm sitting here for a couple of days now thinking my child's in the hospital with breathing problems with this other family. And that was, that's brutal. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not, I'm not there to help. That's my kid. Like it's, you can't even explain what that's like. That's, mm-hmm. it's a really, it's bizarre. And then they, she decided that she was going to parent. And I also want to say and be very clear, if, if a birth mom, you know, you can be upset and be mad and sad and feel all the emotions. But when a birth mother decides to parent, it's ultimately always a good thing. The child gets to be with her birth mom. And that's assuming, you know, the situation is safe. It's usually hopefully a good thing. So I, I didn't want to take away from that, that that child got to be raised with her mom. I don't know what, I don't know if that child was okay or what happened, but I think about her a lot too. I mean, I, I hope she's okay and surviving and thriving. Um, so at that point I said to the attorney, listen, I can't keep falling in love with files. Like basically let's just get to when you, when you have something you feel more positive, call me. And we, uh, about two months went by, we went away for my 40th birthday. Yeah. I'm 40 with an infant. We went away for my 40th birthday and just had what in hindsight turned out to be a really positive, important weekend with a bunch of friends from all walks of life and stages of my life and Seamus's and just laughed. And it was, I just like was able to really relax. And I think that first time in that several months and just like not think about anything, enjoy people celebrating me, which I love. <laughs> what better than that? And, um, 
And on the drive home from that trip, I said to Seamus, you know what, I'm just going to send, I'm just going to shoot a text to the attorney because I didn't want to, you know, completely be out of sight of mind. I said, I'm just going to shoot a text and say, just, just waving. We're still here. And I'm not kidding you. As I said that out loud, my phone pinged. I got a text from her and she said, all right, I have a birth mom. I've been, I've been monitoring these past couple months. She had, hadn't chosen a birth family. She is um, in labor right now. This, I feel like this is it. She is asked that you guys tell her what name you want on the birth certificate. And that was a big thing. We had never gotten that before. She wanted us to put our name. So that was, to us, felt like she's, she's made the decision to, to place, for sure. And um, this was Thanksgiving week. So we raced home from that trip to my whole family who had just driven 10 hours to be with us for Thanksgiving. We said, hi, happy Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for you, but you have to leave, <laughs> basically. And um, Seamus and I packed up, and we, she was going to be born in a different state. So we packed up, found an Airbnb, and I had no idea about the area or anything. I just randomly picked an Airbnb, told the woman what I was coming for, and she had the house when we got there. She started crying. I mean, I would do the same thing if somebody was bringing their new baby home to my my vacation rental. <laughs> we didn't want to take her to a hotel, so we wanted to find a house that we could make homey because we were going to be there for Thanksgiving. But we got in the car and, and made this drive, this several-hour drive, with, with zero expectations, with the idea that Seamus and I were just going on an adventure and whatever happened, happened. And um, we got there. She had stocked the house. It was so sweet with all kinds of food and drink. And we wait. We sat Wednesday night, the night before Thanksgiving, made dinner. And Seamus and I sat there as our potentially last night as non-parents. And the um, baby was born that day. And we were told they would call us Thursday. They didn't want us at the hospital, but they would call us when she was ready to leave. And uh, Seamus woke up at 6 a.m., which he does not like to do. He was, like, cleaning, making coffee, making breakfast. I was trying to figure out what to wear. I'm like, what do you wear to meet the woman who's going to hand you her child? I went with jeans and a in a smart black sweater. Um, and uh, we got a call at 10 o'clock, and they said, you can come now. So I immediately went and threw up. And then I was like, all right, let's go. And we went to the hospital and sat. And I, I had a picture of birth mom, so we sat and waited her waited for her to leave the hospital holding our child. That was a pretty surreal moment. <laughs> I can't even imagine this. Yeah. Yeah, I can't either. <laughs> and I and I was there. And then we went home on Thanksgiving Day and spent Thanksgiving with Seamus and I and this new baby that, I mean, at one, one point he was making bottles, I was feeding her and she kind of started to not gag, but burp a little. And I was like, What's happening? What's happening? YouTube burping! YouTube burping! <laughs> Chickens with their heads cut off. Didn't know what was happening. but And then we got her. And then a lot's happened, obviously, since the final finalization of adoption. That's a whole a whole other story, which I'm happy to, to answer questions on for anybody who, who wants to be helped walk through any of that. But... Um, well, I do want to... I do want to make the point that you told me before that the birth mother in... She was sure of her decision. Like there's a two day waiting period that she chose to let you take the baby home for that. When it was time to sign the first round of paperwork, just days after birth or like whatever hours after birth that she was clear headed and that that for you felt, you know, peaceful or sure, you know, 
Yeah, much. I mean, there's there's obviously still that just question mark of at, is a random ant going to show up and and sweep in underneath, you know, pull the rug out from underneath us, which could have always happened. I, I mean, I met her. We hugged. She actually did not speak English very well, so that was a, a bit of a barrier. But we worked through it. But it was, you know, we had a we had a language of love, and there was um, she did. She let us have let us keep her for keep the baby for those two days. It was her waiting period, which that's a lot of the time when birth mothers change their mind because, you know, you think that you're not going to be able to parent, but then you go home and spend a couple of days with this precious little person or days in the hospital mm. or whatever it is. And, uh, and you change your mind, which is very understandable. So I was terrified of that. So when she said we were going to be able to take her home for the waiting period, and then when we got a couple of days later to, to sign the, the paper, she was already there. She had already signed. And I handed Freya to her. She she fed her while, while we went in and signed our papers. And that was a pretty surreal moment, standing in the attorney's office with my mom, my dad, this woman <laughs> giving us her baby, the attorney, Seamus and I, Freya. It was a, what do you say? I mean, it was a, it was a very surreal moment. And then you were a mom. <laughs> Just like that. As easy as that. (laughs) And she is a beautiful, beautiful baby girl. I'm so happy for you. I'm impressed that you're willing to share this story. I know it's vulnerable. I know you learned a lot and really want to use your story to share with others so that they can feel less alone or, or can maybe just learn how it goes. Like for me, it was really helpful to be able to even know that you went through this just as a friend, as a loved one, you know what I mean? So what do you think, like, you know, do you have a final takeaway? Do you have a, a something you really want to say to listeners? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm holding her right now looking at her, and I, I just think that I think a lot of the things that scared me, yeah, a lot of the things that I was worried about after, you know, becoming a mom to a child I didn't birth, like, I was, I was so worried, am I going to bond with her? Am I going to feel like a mom right away? I so badly wanted her since she wasn't going to, you know, have my eyes or my skin or, you know, whatever. I was so concerned about it. I wonder if she's going to take on some of the personality of Seamus and I. And I think she already has. Like, she's – there are things we can see which feel awesome. That we're like, that is coming from just how we've nurtured and raised her. I think one thing that's just – I really love – to tell people is that when it's all over, like I'm a mom, there's no doubt. I, I forget most of the time that, that I didn't carry her. I, it doesn't even, honestly, it, it rarely crosses my mind unless other people ask for, or I'm doing a long podcast on it. You just are, I was so worried. Am I going to bond with her right away? Is she going to know I'm her mom? It, you know, all these things, any fear that I had was completely squashed. She, I'm for sure her mom. She clings to me. And, you know, I was, it's still an amazing journey. I, I, I don't question now one thing through the process. And I hope anybody going through this, whether it be from the fertility side or adoption, you just have to know that at the end of the day, it will all work out. It, you know, I know there's over 2 million families waiting for adoption, apparently, which is hard to hear. But you know, whether it's a year or five years, you're, you're going to end up with whatever the path is you're supposed to be. And if it ends up that you don't have kids, go travel and have fun and, and you know, just be able to do all the things that you can't do 
as well with having kids. So it's really important for me to know that my path was my path and that was going to happen no matter what. And, um, and it all turns out really beautiful in the end, one way or another. just listened to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.